From the EPR Creations Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast Spring Game Preview for the 2022 Florida State Spring Game. Looking at what's going to happen and what what I'm going to be paying attention to at 5 o'clock on Saturday and in additional viewings of that. And of course, uh, I'll be breaking that game down on the uh, video video uh, uh, options via Patreon, looking at what we're able to uh, ascertain from, from that in terms of pre- personnel and all sorts of things. Before I do that, I want to thank my sponsors. This podcast, as always, brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing the best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. They built showthesafeties.com for me. And if you haven't signed the petition for improving the viewing angles so that we can see the passing game on television and, you know, be able to see things like the spring game better, please do so. And uh, this podcast also brought to you by Louis Marquez of Color Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, and Shenandoah Newsma of Shenandoah Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. More about them later in the show. So, um, First thing, before I actually uh, start this, I, I, I want to uh, express a little bit of frustration that Florida State is losing arguably the best coach in college sports. That is Mark Krikorian, who has stepped down and resigned as the uh, the head soccer coach at Florida State. Uh, actually, the 24-7 folks over at, uh, over at Knowles 24-7 have, uh, have done a great job getting some uh, public records request uh, data so that they could see some of the negotiation that happened on that and what what went down there. Uh, obviously, some concerning things in terms of Krikorian saying, you know, he really ultimately didn't trust uh, Alford, the the hire there for uh, for Florida State's athletic department and uh, as the athletic director. Uh, and you know, that's never encouraging to hear in terms of coaches. But I, I think some of that right now probably has to do with the uh, additional sort of focus that Alford and, and the athletic department are, are, are putting on men's on men's football because of uh, the importance of that to the overall uh, athletic department. And, you know, Krikorian has had some frustrations with the Florida state administration over the last few years. And, uh, and, you know, Alford in some sense, having been around for some of that represents uh, represents that. And, 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 you know, that, I think that's, that's a big part of that, but in any case, Krikorian made the Florida State soccer program the top in the country, uh, even passing the uh, North Carolina program that had a lot longer to build. And, you know, they won 20, 20 national titles before anybody else had in the ACC had won one. So, I mean, it's just a, a remarkable job that Krikorian did. Uh, I know for a fact uh, that he was offered the uh, U.S. women's national team head coaching position when that spot last opened, they basically begged him to take that job and offered him a lot more money. Uh, but at the time, he basically said, "Well, you know, got issue, got my issues with the with the Florida State administration, but that's nothing compared to uh, to to the mess out there." So, um, you know, be interesting to see what he does. Uh, obviously, I'll be rooting for him wherever he goes, and uh, hopefully, Florida State's able to hire a really good replacement for him. I'd be very strongly looking at anybody who has worked with Krikorian before just to try to keep that, that, uh, that system going, but, uh, uh, be hopefully they'll be able to find somebody that is able to, uh, sustain the momentum that, that Krikorian had established there. Uh, yeah. Anyway, if you'd have told my, you know, 18 year old self a couple decades ago that 
I actually would have become a soccer fan at some point. Who knows? I, I, I don't think my 18-year-old self would have believed you. But hey, you know, here we are. Anyway, getting get to the uh, spring game side of things, the, the, the American football side of things. Um, I think a way to think about this in terms of how I'm approaching this spring game and, and, and thinking about this program moving into the fall overall is there are, there are things that we know at this point, and then there's some uncertainty in some other areas and, and basically differentiating between those two things and seeing what they're able to, to handle, what, what answers we're able to get in those areas of uncertainty is really the key. So in that sense, compared to, say, last year, when going into the season, I mean, I mentioned last year that, you know, I had some serious concerns. I mean, most notably, you'll recall my basically saying, I don't know how they're going to score because I don't see any difference makers on offense. And that turned out to be the case. But other than that, I mean, there was very little sense of sort of what they had and who they were and identity and any of those things. I mean, we, we didn't know who the quarterback was going to be. Uh, we didn't know, you know, how, what, what kind of capacity they would get from any of the quarterbacks. Uh, we didn't really have a, a sense of whether they would be able to put together a viable starting five, even on, on the offensive line. I mean, there were a lot of questions going into last year and there were very few real knowns going into last year. I mean, it was, it was very much a, a year that had a lot more question marks than, 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 uh, solid areas that you, you kind of knew, okay, well, you know, we know what we're going to get from that group. It was all question marks. I think this year coming into this spring feels more like a regular year where you're not coming off of the COVID year. You're not coming off of a COVID year in a first after with a first year staff. You've gotten to see kind of what this staff does and how they do things with the roster that they've had. You've gotten to see some areas where they've established some solidity and, and at least established a floor. And so, you know, you've, you can kind of work around like, okay, we, we kind of know what we have here. Now, these are some of the question marks, but every season's going to have question marks. So are they going to be able to answer those questions? How are they going to be able to answer those questions? But in a number of areas, you kind of know what they are. And so that's more typical. Uh, and in terms of that, I mean, there are certain things we know. So coming into the spring game, the things that at least I think we know, <laughs> I mean, there's the stuff that you know, you know, and then the stuff that you think, you know, so this is stuff that at least I think we know is number one. We, we know what, what's going on at the quarterback position. Jordan Travis is what he is. He He's a guy that, that brings a lot of, brings a pretty, pretty good skill set to the position, but he's never going to be an elite thrower. He can be a really good thrower, but he's not an elite thrower. I mean, you're not looking at a, at a, uh, you know, first round pick type, uh, thrower of the football, just a classic drop back guy, but a guy who offers you a lot of versatility and explosive running option, along with the ability to throw a really good deep ball. So, you know what you got there now, you know, the concern is durability and, you know, availability, some of those things. So you, you do want to have some, some solidity behind him, but, uh, you know, there you're asking for a step forward from Rodemaker. You're asking, you know, how close can Duffy be to being a viable backup? I mean, he's the most talented guy they've signed probably since Malik Henry. 
So, I mean, is he a guy that that could be a viable backup next year where, let's say, Travis goes down for a game or two? Does that mean those are automatic losses or, or can you get something from those guys? I mean, I think they probably should be in the transfer market for a, a, a solid option behind Travis coming coming into the next year, but that's a tough thing to find. I mean, generally speaking, quarterbacks who are transferring are not transferring to be backups. So they're kind of in a in a difficult spot there. But we know at least what they are when Travis is healthy and you're kind of looking to see do they have enough depth there to, that you're not just on pins and needles anytime he drops back or, you know, runs just to make sure that he stays healthy. That's that's the real question. But you, you know what you've got at least at the starting quarterback position. I think you know what you have at the linebacker position. I mean, if Lundy and Gaynor are your backups, you feel pretty good. I mean, Lundy and Gaynor, as starters, would probably be the best set of starters Florida State has had in some years. But instead, you've got Deloach and Bethune in front of them. And so you feel pretty good about that. You feel like you can you can win with that set of of linebackers. So you've got four linebackers, and then if you throw Dix in there, and especially in the shorter yardage kind of situations and some of those packages, then you know you feel like you've got four or five linebackers that you can trust. So you got a two deep of linebackers that's not bad. They're they're you know at least average in the in the conference. So you know where your floor is there. I think you know where you where you're at at safety. You've got Jamie Robinson and Akeem Dent. They're going to be your starters. You've got some other guys that can that can play there that are going to contend for for reps. I mean, what's Travis Jay going to do? Is he going to is he going to actually start to live up to some of that potential? The guy I'm going to be paying attention to on my second watch of this of the spring game is Shaheem Brown. He's a guy that has a lot of potential there. But again, at that point, you're still talking about depth and you kind of know where you're at in terms of the starters and what you what you have in terms of floor for that position that they were with Robinson and Dent at those spots. They were pretty solid in the second half of last year once that got solidified. So you you, you know what you got there. Maybe the most knowledge of any place that, that, that you know is the starting defensive tackles are outstanding. So... You know, you can just say, okay, well, we're real good there. No worries there. You know, top, um, among the best in the in the conference. And then you feel good about the running back group. Now, the question there is, can they be, you know, tipped over to become an excellent group? And I think I, I'm more optimistic and a little more on this later in the show. I'm more optimistic about the running back group than most. Uh, I think this running back group could be very good this year. So... You you feel you feel like you know, and you've got sol- at least a solid floor at quarterback, linebacker, safety. You've got floor and ceiling at defensive tackle, and then at running back. So really, that's five positions or position groups where you know you know what you have, and you can kind of build from there. So then the next question is: Okay, well, what held last year's team back? Because I mean, they were solid at some of those spots last year, and they still only won five games. So what held last year's team back? Well, I think, first of all, instability at quarterback. I think if Jordan Travis had played the whole game last year against Jackson State, they they probably win that game. And, you know, they they basically, they were, a di- they were trying to find a different identity early in the year, and that kind of bit him in that game. And you wonder also about 
maybe the Wake Forest game, a couple others that they had some opportunities that might have gone differently if they'd been a little bit more solid in terms of, of their identity at quarterback early in the year. And then, of course, Travis missed some some time, and that really cost them. So that held them back. Now, if Travis goes down again this year, I'm not sure they're in a whole lot better position. I think, you know, they basically, they're basically trotting out the same, same set. The only way that they would be in better position is if Duffy turns out to be ready sooner than you expect. But I mean, at least you've got talent there. So that's kind of where you, where you end up sitting there. Now, in terms of other stuff that held them back, razor thin offensive line depth, they were okay when they had their healthy first five last year. But when Robert Scott, Maurice Smith, uh, Gibbons or Washington were hurt or some combination of more than one of them, they were flat out dreadful up front. So that was a problem, you know, instability at quarterback, razor thin offensive line depth. And then they had some injuries there that, that caused them to dip into that depth and they were really bad there. And then no difference makers out wide. I mean, at wide receiver, they had nobody that was beating man-to-man coverage consistently. They, they didn't have an option where, okay, it's third and third and eight, and we're just going to run a back shoulder fade and we're going to win that 80% of the time. There's none of that. And then at running back, I mean, they had Corbin who basically became a difference maker last year, but now you're replacing that. So again, do you, you, you need a difference maker at that position. So really lacking difference makers on, uh, uh, on the offense. So really, the offense was where these biggest problems were. Instability at quarterback, razor-thin offensive line depth, and then no difference makers out wide. I mean, that's, that's kind of the holy trinity of uh, not having an explosive offense right there and, and having a lot of weaknesses. And you add those up all together in certain games, and you're, you're, you just got no shot to win those games. And defensively, they were actually pretty good defensively last year. What held them back, though? Coverage weaknesses at linebacker to some extent. Got a little better on that over the course of the year, but that was a, that was a concern. That's something that they needed to do better. And then ultimately, it was subpar corner play that really killed them last year. If they'd had good corner play, they'd have been really good on defense. But they gave up way too many wins on vertical routes for opposing offenses. I mean, essentially, you wound up with a lot of guys in chase position who couldn't run. And ultimately, just got run by by too many wide receivers. Too many easy plays down the field because of subpar corner play. Now, the safety play in, late in the year, as, that, as they solidified that position, that helped. But again, they, got, they, they need to be better at corner. So that's five things coming into this year where, okay, you, you know you've got some solidity at those other five things. There are five things that you're looking at for this year. Can you get those things taken care of to be better? I don't know that they can fix the instability at quarterback in terms of they just need to have another guy on the roster who can play that would be viable depth. And like I said, that's going to be tough to get in the, in the transfer portal. It's, you know, you're kind of depending on Rotomaker or, or Duffy stepping up and being that guy or Travis being able to play the whole year. If Travis is able to play the whole year next year, this is an eight or nine win team, I think. But I mean, how, how is he going to be able to play all 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 uh, all twelve games? Is he really? Are you sure? Is he going to be available for all of them? Is he going to be a hundred percent? How limited might he be? I mean, that's the concern. But otherwise, I mean, 
you're looking in this spring game, what I'm watching is the other four things where I think you have to improve in order to be better than last year. Plus one thing that you're replacing from last year where it was really good and you lost your, you lost your, your top guys. So those things are the offensive line, wide receiver, difference makers, corner play, and then defensive ends. So those are the four things that I'm watching the most. So as I'm watching this game, so now we're going to get past those other two things. If we're looking at what I'm actually going to be watching closely, especially my first time through watching the spring game, I can outline that pretty easily. Defensive ends and offensive tackles and wide receivers and cornerbacks are going to be where my, my primary attention is going to be. And the, the, the nice thing is that those two matchups are against each other. So you can kind of just watch those things. At defensive end, last year, that was the best part of their defense. This year, it's one of the question marks that they're bringing in because they lost their two studs, the two transfers that were so good last year. Now, at the same time, they, they do have, there are some things that we know kind of coming into this year. We know what they have in Dennis Briggs. As long as he's reasonably healthy, we know you know, you know what you've got there. And that should be a positive. You know you're going to get a guy who can set the edge and who can become a pass rusher on the inside when you want to slide him in and can be a, a, a bit of a handful, especially against, the, against the, the run, but also can compress the pocket as a pass rusher. He can basically fill that uh, Keir Thomas-type role in a lot of ways from that spot. So you know what you've got there. You feel pretty good about that. You also basically know what you've got in Quayshawn Fuller. He is what he is. I, you, you don't think he, I don't think he's a, a, a starter, um, but you know what you have. And ideally, if he's a, a, you know a, a, in the third spot on the roster, you feel really good about that. So you know what you've got there. So now, if you look at the, at the edge spot, I'm looking at Jared Verse, I'm looking at Derek McClendon, Leonard Warner, and Patrick Payton. Those four players, to me, are are the ones that, absent adding another edge guy in the portal after the spring, those are the guys that are going to define how good the, the Florida State defensive front can be next year, as much as anybody. Now, Jared Verse, at this point, it's obvious that we know he's got the physical tools, and he's going to make some splash plays next year just because of the physical tools. That stood out all spring. I mean, you watch him on anything that's been available. I mean, there's a lot of pub stuff that's publicly available to see, and you watch him move around, and you're like, yep, that looks like an NFL player. He looks like a Florida State defensive end. He moves like a Florida State defensive end. But what I'm going to be watching is all about consistency. How well is he going to handle his gap responsibilities against the run? How well is he going to make sure that his hand positioning is good. How is How well is he going to be able to uh, stack and shed the offensive lineman to be able to be a problem in the running game? Or if, the, if you see a, a running back suddenly getting into the secondary and gashing the defense, do you look back and you go, oh, that's versus side again. That's one of the things I'm going to be looking for. Is he able to string enough consistency together to be a reliable edge player for this defense. Because I think the physical tools are there that you're going to get some splash plays from him. It's all about how consistent he can be in all the other plays. And that's what you got so much of last year from Johnson. He was 
unbelievably consistent and the effort level was so high all the time that it just it, teams continued to to struggle anytime they would run to his side because he played with such heavy hands played with such discipline and such high effort that he just didn't get out of gaps and and didn't make it easy on the offense at any point can jared verse start to show a little bit of consistency and 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 some fundamentals and the ability to play at the level that you know, his body says he should be able to play at down after down. I want to watch that. How close is he going to be to that? Number two, I'm watching McClendon and he's lost some weight. He hasn't lost strength reportedly, despite losing that weight. The question is, can he flat? It's the opposite for him. Can he flash more as a pass rusher? Can I see a little bit more explosiveness from McClendon. Is he a guy that can actually show me that he might be able to beat decent ACC tackles on the edge? Can he, can he be a viable option there? Another guy that I'm watching is Leonard Warner. Now he's been around forever. Can grandpa be a reliable edge setter? Can he eat up a few hundred snaps at one of the edge spots and be a good player especially on running downs and a guy who can actually be fluid and active and make some tackles and just keep gaps closed and just make things difficult on the offense. Can he play with heavy hands and, and be solid and not get pushed back by offensive tackles at this level? I'm more bullish on him than most. So I'm, I want to, you know, I think, uh, and I already said this when he moved there, and when he decided to stay for this year, and they 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 said, "Yeah, we, you know, we're, you're welcome back to stay one more year. You've got that COVID year." I thought that was a great idea because I think at his weight, at his size, at his with his physical profile, I think he can be a real contributor. But I want to watch to see if I'm right. <laughs> how how does he look at that spot? And then finally, Patrick Payton. He's gained a bunch of weight, but he's still you know, pretty, he's one of those long lean guys. Is he going to be able to hold up at all against the run? Is he a guy that actually is going to be able to contribute this year? Or is he still a year away? Can he be a situational guy who's sort of second on the depth chart there, but comes in and actually makes a difference. So those are the things I'm looking for at defensive end at the, at the edge position. And then while I'm watching those guys, I'm going to be watching in particular, bless Harris, the, the new, Offensive tackle, uh, the transfer. I want to watch, I think again, you can see he, he still needs to gain some strength in the off season, but physically speaking, he's got a lot of tools. You feel good about that, but I want to watch fundamentals and consistency. How well is he moving his feet and how well is he able to maintain position and mirror and sink into his hips? I mean, sinking into his hips to maintain his power was something that, uh, that he didn't do very well on, on tape when I saw the, uh, the FCS stuff that he'd done, he needed to learn to sit back into his hips a little bit more so that he'd have some power on that initial strike. And if he can learn to do that consistently, he's got, he's got the physical tools to be a really good player. But is he able to do that? Am I seeing some of the progression that I should be seeing at this point so that he might actually be able to, to be a viable right tackle starter next year and not, not get you killed? Can he recover when he loses initiative? Those are things I'm looking at. Hand placement. And then the other guy I'm really watching on the offensive tackle side is Lloyd Willis. And when he came in, 
I was one of those guys that said, this is a super high ceiling three to four year project. There's a guy who could be a first round draft pick at the end of it all, but it's going to take three to four years to develop. Well, we're in year three. How much progress has he made? And, you know, the early, the early thoughts on this were that he didn't really, you know, he, he didn't develop as much in that first year. And, you know, again, he had, you had the COVID stuff first year, COVID year, all that stuff. He didn't develop as much in that time as what you'd like. So he's kind of a year behind, but you know, can he at least develop into a reliable flex backup? I mean, is it a situation where you're going to be completely screwed again if an offensive tackle goes down this year? You know, if an offensive tackle has to has to to go out for a couple series, does that mean that you're turning the ball over? If an offensive tackle misses a game, does that mean you just pe- immediately pencil in a loss? You know, if Robert Scott's not out there, does that mean that, well, that's a loss? Or are they going to have a little bit of depth at those tackle positions. I mean, you know Washington can slide out. I mean, they've had him at, at, at guard all, all spring because they're trying to develop that that tackle depth, and ultimately they'd like another tackle to be there so that Washington can be at guard. But can they? Are they going to have a third and fourth tackle option that at least can be close to average? That's the question. So I want to see that. I'm not really going to pay much attention to Robert Scott, except to, you know, the thing we know there is we know what he is. He's, he's an average to above average offensive tackle in the ACC as of last year. So he could be better than that going into next year, but there's your floor. So if you've got guys beating him, you feel pretty good about that. So as much as that goes, I'll, I'll be, I'll be paying attention to it, but I'm not going to really be focusing too much on him because you expect a nice incremental step forward to where he becomes an above average offensive tackle in the ACC. And if he's that, and if Jared Verse and you know McClendon and those guys are still beating him, then hey, that's great. That that speaks well for your for your defense. But that's that's one of the main places that I'm going to be looking in this game. The other place it ultimately is the wide receiver corner matchup, and this is tricky to to evaluate because last year Florida State's wide receivers were just not good. They weren't good enough to to win games. Because you got you had guys that couldn't get off one-on-one coverage consistently. So they went out and they threw bodies at it in the transfer portal. But here's the thing. How well are you going to be able to judge whether there's been real improvement there when they're going against a cornerback group that also wasn't very good last year? And again, they've brought in some new bodies here. And then Renardo Green has moved there now that he's healthy again. But... They're going to need they're going to need improvement at both the corner and the wide receiver position. So I'm going to be watching traits as much as anything and watching fundamentals as much as anything as I'm watching those positions because you know, if a wide receiver, let's say you have some wide receivers that really do well and look dominant in this in this game, you might look at that and go, "Oh man, they've really taken a step forward." Or you might go, "Well, you know, look at who he was beaten." Right. Or the same, you know, in the reverse, like, oh, man, the corners look so much better. Well, they looked decent against Florida State's receivers last year. And then they got into, you know, play against other good teams and they couldn't hold up. So I think you you kind of know what you have in Omarion in Omari and Cooper and Duke Cooper. He's going to be a starter on one side, and I think you feel pretty good about that one. But what are you where what are you going to get behind him and what are you going to get at the other two? Kevin Knowles. I think you feel good at 
in terms of uh, at the slot position. I think you feel good about those two guys. Who's the third guy going to be? And then who's four, five, and six going to be? That's, that's critical. Are they going to have five, six corners that they actually can rely on to win one-on-ones? Now, in my opinion, if I were handicapping this coming out of the spring, I would say that odds are your three starting corners are Duke Cooper, Kevin Knowles, and Renardo Green. Now, I've been a Renardo Green booster since he was a freshman. I mean, you go back to my scouting report on him coming out of high school. I liked him more than, than most coming out of high school, just in terms of traits. Not as fluid as some, but he, he runs well. He's got some good length. Can he be a guy that can be at least consistent at that spot? Can he be a guy that doesn't just get run by and give up a bunch of vertical routes? And then you got the guys behind him that are really, really talented. I mean, Demory Tate, maybe the most talented guy out of his recruiting class. Well, we're entering year three. It's time to actually play. Azaria Thomas, I mean, probably the most talented guy from this class and a guy that might be the starter at, that, at one of those spots next year by mid-year. But, I mean, are these guys going to show out in this context? What's going to happen in that context? Greedy Vance, I want to see, he's one of the few takes that they, that they got in the, uh, in the transfer portal that I felt was probably a good take, but not a, you know, sort of can't miss. I want to see what he brings to the table there. Is he a guy that is going to help raise the floor of that position? Sam McCall, another guy. They're going to have to find some other bodies at the corner position that can compete and can win matchups in the ACC in order to be anywhere close to what they want to be. And then those guys are going against a new set of receivers, particularly Johnny Wilson and Micah Pittman, who I'm going to be paying attention to. Johnny Wilson, you all know, I've been more bullish on him than just about anybody since since he hit the transfer portal. When, when he hit the transfer portal, I immediately tweeted, that's a guy I'd target. He'd be one, one of the number one or two guys on my list. And I, I, I was very clear. I would sign both him and Deuce Span. They both hit pretty close to the same time. It's like, you get both of those guys, I feel really good. So I think Wilson could be the number one receiver on this team next year. So question is, is he ready consistency-wise to become the number one and, and a true vertical threat that consistently wins on the outside against one-on-one coverage? Because that changes things for you offensively. But that means he's going to have to cut out some of the drops he's had in spring so far. And I want to see whether he's able to, to play with that level of consistency when the lights are on in the spring game. And the other guy that you know is coming in with year one expectations is Micah Pittman. And to me, the question is, is he able to create space as a route runner against one-on-one coverage, or is everything going to have to be contested? He's not a super explosive guy. He's not a huge guy. You know, he's a guy that wins with craft, wins with, you know, being refined and strength to some degree. Is he going to be able to be a bit of a difference maker there? Is he just a guy? I want to see what he's able to bring to the table as a receiver, adding to this group is how, how big of an addition is he? And then, you know, the other guy that is, is a new guy, is a guy that you know I felt was he would have been number one on my board in terms of bringing him in because of traits, but you know he's a project coming in. How much progress has Deuce Span made through the spring? Can we expect anything from him in the fall at all? 
I mean, can he at least just be a stick him out there for a few go routes during the game during each each week, and you know potentially he's going to you know be a threat to take a top off the defense once or once in a while. Can can he be that? And then otherwise, who else stands out? Who's actually taken a step forward? How improved can this group be over last year? Because really, if you're looking for improvement over last year, it's more more off, more likely than not, you're going to have to depend on the offensive line being either significantly healthier or a bit deeper, and the wide receivers being a lot better than last year. That's what you're depending on for this offense to be better than it was last year. Otherwise, I mean, you're going to have some of the same problems. That's where you have to fix it. That's what we don't know yet. That's what I'm going to be paying attention to. Now, the final stuff that I'm going to be looking at, and this will be more you know, stuff that is obvious or not, so you don't have to watch for it. But I'm going to be watching, I'm going to be paying attention anytime Trey Benson has the football. Because similar with Johnny Wilson, I might be the most bullish person on Trey Benson of anyone covering Florida State. When he got signed, I said it. Look, this was a, there were people that were saying, why would they take him? And I was going, I would have taken him. Because he's got the traits to make you feel really, really good about his future. He's a grown man and might be the fastest running back on the team. I think the freshman may have something to say about that. Uh, I think odds are, given the explosiveness, I think Rodney Hill's probably the most, the fastest guy, the fastest running back on this team. Uh, and you know, I'll be interested in seeing what he looks like, but Benson of the guys that are, that are likely to play a good bit this year, he's the most explosive. He's the fastest guy and he's the biggest. Can he become a key rotation piece? Can he become the Corbin role from last year with the big body back who can also run well enough to make some big plays and then basically allow Ward to do what he does and allow to to do what he does. Is that, is that the way that's going to work? Or is he just, you know, it's going to be another running back on the roster. I'm pretty bullish on him, but I, I want to see I want to see some evidence of that in the spring game. Finally, and this is one of those things that I won't be paying as much attention to during the game, but I'll be going back and I'll be paying, you know, I'll be picking through this a bunch and I'll be doing this on uh, on Patreon on the video stuff uh, for everybody. I'm going to be looking at those backup defensive tackles, not so much for this year. I mean. I want to see improvement from Ray and Jarrett Jackson. These are guys that they're going to need to be good this this year to to have a solid rotation there. But what about all those guys when you get into your depth? Do you have a solid fifth and sixth option at defensive tackle? What's the future look like here? Because this is where this is what matters for the programs for the program's future as they're building towards 2023, 2024. They've got to develop some defensive tackles to replace Lovett and Cooper. And I, I really hope we don't see much of Lovett and Cooper in this game. I'd love to see them both sit out. Honestly, I, 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 don't, want to, I don't want either one of those guys to play it down in, this, in, in the spring game. I want to see all the other guys. And I want to see what the future looks like at that defensive tackle spot to kind of have a sense of what are they going to look like in 2023 when, when Cooper and Lovett are not out there? What, what, what are their options? Are they gonna are they gonna take a major step back or are they gonna just take a small step back? Or where are they at at the defensive tackle spot? So those are the things I'm looking at as I'm going into the spring game, as I'm thinking about where I want to watch and how all this sort of works for what to expect for the 2022 season as a whole. 
again, wide receiver, corner, defensive end, and offensive tackle. To me, those spots, as much as anything, will determine how good Florida State can be in 2022. So those are the spots. Those are the question marks that I'm going to be paying the most attention to in the spring game. The plus to me is that it feels like they're finally building. I mean, for the last couple of years, it has felt like they were doing, they were basically just trying to stop the bleeding in terms of the program in free fall. It feels now like with some of the places where they've managed to shore up and, and establish a floor, they've, they've landed, they've they, they hit rock bottom and now they're finally building and they've established that floor. And now they're having to shore up some of the places where they had some weaknesses that hurt them last year. And they're having to rebuild from a couple of the losses, particularly on the edge where they, you know, they had actual good play last year, but by and large, it's basically just answering. I mean, they've got a bunch of returners, a bunch of returning players. It's answering the bell at the places where they had question marks last year. Can they shore up some of those question marks? And it's building toward that. That's what I'm looking toward. Like I said, the optimist in me says that at least it feels like they're starting to shore up some of those places. It feels like they're finally building. Am I still going to have that feeling after the spring game? That's what I'm that's what we'll be discussing in a couple days. Until then, this has been the Unconquered Podcast, brought to you by EPR Creations. Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Shenandoah Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and Garage Makeovers. I'm Jason Staples. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.